accustomed to them as the case may be, but do we acknowledge, and yes, I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to tell you yet, do we acknowledge our desperate need for the greatness of God in every area of our lives? We've come to our final week in our series, Come Home, uh, which is focused on the book of Hosea. And while we've spent what might feel to you like a significant amount of time, in reality, we've just touched on major themes over these past couple months. And I want to remind you of where we found ourselves. We started with the oddity of the fact that God gives this tremendous picture of his frustration with the people of Israel And he does it in the most tangible of ways by giving a living metaphor to the people of Israel to see, by telling Hosea to marry a harlot, in our time we would call that a prostitute, to have children, some of them not even his, to name them names like not loved and not my people, to invite the people of Israel to come back, to go buy his wife back, all of these pictures coming in to show a couple of things. One, to show the depravity. We don't like that word, so let me make it simpler. To show the brokenness. Oh, that word makes me uncomfortable, so I'll bring it down again. To show the rebellion of God's chosen people, his very bride. But it wasn't that God was only showing people, his rebellion, their rebellion toward him, he was inviting them to come back with relentless love. We see in chapters 2 and 3, we're told that he will betroth the people to himself and he will get them back. Little did the people of Israel know some 700 years before it happened that that would be consummated by Jesus Christ giving his life to buy God's people and bring them back home for all that would believe in him. And so we've seen this circle of logic of we've dealt with God's just and righteous need to discipline those he loves to point them back, and yet they continue to set up idols. They continue to follow false gods. They continue to do all these things. And God, in his tenderness tenderness and mercy, says, keep coming back. I'm here. And then we remember into the New Testament the great story of the two lost sons or what some of you grow up hearing of the prodigal son, how the very father, the picture of God in the story would chase down his wayward children and bring them back to him. And so as we find ourselves in Hosea chapter 14, I want to read to you this short chapter and ask that the Lord would open our hearts. I don't have many comments today. I mean, the text does a really great job of showing us what God wants us to hear is this series of sermons, not from me, from the mouth of Hosea, given by God, it comes to an end. And he says, return Israel. There you go. Again, he's calling Israel back to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. They tried. Remember, they tried to buy us Assyria's protection and it didn't work. We will not mount war horses because they're all gone. We will never again say our gods, plural. 
to what our own hands have made, for, you, for in you the fatherless find compassion. Wow. And then the tone changes. I will hear, hear their, heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of lemon, Lebanon or lemons. You know, they smell good too. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who's discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Lord, would you bless the reading and teaching of your word today. Amen. We heard just a moment ago that we're invited to a feast. We heard from Lavina that her entire worldview centers around the greatness of God that invites people into a better way to live, uh, and she specifically has worked with people that have nothing. And she said, there's a better way. There's a way of hope. There's the way of freedom. And did you hear 16 girls raise their hand to accept Christ over the new year? That's amazing. That's God at work transforming lives. I got to hear from Joyce and Henri Samatu last night that they get the privilege of not just bringing people into the light out of darkness physically, but in the process, they use the skills and abilities God has given them to bring people into the light spiritually, trusting the Holy Spirit to open up doors for them to speak truth into the lives of others. So then why isn't the church exploding? Why can't we see this message spreading like wildfire all over the world? Well, it pretty much starts with where some of you along your journey have all found yourselves. Maybe you were learning piano at some point in your life and you got to adding both hands and you hit a wall. And suddenly you just couldn't get past that and you had to practice and practice and practice and you got stuck. Maybe you're not musical, you're athletic. In whatever skill you were trying to add, there came a point where you just hit the wall and it no longer made sense. You couldn't figure it out. You couldn't break free. One of the great examples of that is runners that run long distances. No matter how far you run, if you're doing it competitively and you're doing it to your peak ability, at some point you will hit a mental and physical wall where you feel like you can't go on and you have to change your mind. Remember those three words, change your mind. They're hugely important to where we go today. Or maybe it's academics. Academics, one of the great gods of Hong Kong. But yet you were like me. You got to Algebra 2 and Trigonometry and all you saw was letters and you said, I thought this was math class. 
And no matter what you did and no matter how many times you tried, it never got easier. And the wall had been hit. And you were forced with a choice to change your mind, to try to teach yourself to learn in a different way and to ask for help, or to give up. Sadly, when it came to algebra, calculus, and things like that, I kind of gave up. I just believed that I couldn't do it. In our spiritual lives, it's much the same. We get to a place where God invites us to give Him our life, to give Him all of our mistakes, to give Him all of our struggles, to give Him all of our pain, to give Him all of our idols, all of our comfort, all of our hours, our ownership, and to trust Him that His ways are better, to trust Him that His ways are longer, to trust Him that His ways have purpose forever, that His ways lead us to a path of wholeness, to a path of significance, of importance. Because when God looked down at humanity, He looked down and He affirmed the potential of humanity, saying, I've made them in my own image. In the New Testament, we're told that we were created as God's workmanship to do His work. In the Psalms, we are created fearfully and wonderfully made. All of these images point to God having a purpose for our lives. But we get stuck. You might, been, might have been stuck in piano. You might have been stuck in academics or in a sport or in your marriage or in a relationship. We get stuck spiritually too. And often it comes down to the very concept of ownership. I'm going to own my sin and not give it up. I don't want to give up the practices that I know are wrong so that I could have a better life because I don't believe that life trusting God is really better. Or Maybe it's more complicated. If I admit this sin, if I admit this broken behavior, if I, if I give this to God, then I'm admitting darkness in my soul and I, I don't want anyone to know. I don't want anyone to see. But the amazing thing when Jesus gave that new covenant in his blood for the forgiveness of sins, we're given a promise that our sins are to be remembered no more. That the things we're most ashamed of, the things that are blocking us from life that Jesus came to give, what's called full life. Jesus made things so simple. I complicate them. Jesus made it really is easy. He said, you think you've got it figured out, but there's a better way, and I want to give it to you. Here it is. I'm it. There's the message of Jesus. I've got a better way. You don't have to be stuck at the wall anymore.
Maybe your wall is vocational. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's sinful. But you wonder, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? Well, God is so clear in Hosea. He says, change your mind. You know what that word is in the Bible most often? Repentance. Repentance means changing our mind, changing our very way of thought and turning to a different and better way. So how do we get to the point where we confess and repent of our brokenness and deal with the invitation that God is inviting us wherever we are in our journey to trust Him with everything in our life? And how do I know that He can make good on His promises? I don't want to steal our thunder, but I sat next to Joyce and Henri last night, uh, missionaries that we've supported for quite some time, and I heard her give seven reasons why she shouldn't be a missionary. (laughs) She lives in a rainforest where there is literally no road to get there. And they give sight to the blind, freely, lovingly, and often painfully. But they do it for the joy set before them because God gave them a bigger purpose than just making money and being successful. I've also sat down with people that have been transformed. I heard a testimony uh, recently of a man that had a tattoo of cuss words on his arm because he wanted everyone to know he just didn't care about the world. And that man is now a pastor because he realized there was a better way to live than being angry at the world. And so his tattoo is a reminder of the life he once lived and the transforming power of God at work in him. God can change our minds. God can change our hearts. And God can change our ways. Not because of our strength, but because of who He is. So what I want to do is I want to look at you and me and consider the fact that maybe we've invited, been invited to confess and to repent. But how do we get there? How do we move from being stuck right here to where God is leading us? to where God is inviting us. And the first thing, and you know this, nothing I'm going to say is truly complicated. First, sin is more than breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, You need to understand that. Sin is missing the mark God has laid before us. So you could be doing a good thing, but God has something better for you and you won't go that way. That's a sinful behavior. And I'm not going to apologize for saying that because I want you to live a bigger life. I want you to live freely. And in the back of your mind, you're wondering right now, is this all there is? No. There's so much more. If you would but surrender. Interestingly enough, I watched the movie Doctor Strange. They got like everything wrong about spirituality except one thing. You won't understand the power of the mystic gods until you understand that it's about surrender. The pagan world understands it. Why can't the Christians? Now, don't go watch Dr. Strange and say, Mike says this is a Christian movie. No, they just stumbled upon a Christian truth. That until we surrender our lives, until we're aware of our sinfulness, our holding on to what God invites us to lay before Him, we're stuck. Dr. Strange was stuck and so are we. 
Because he says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Your stubborn refusal to hold on to what God invites you to give to him is your downfall. Mine too. Trust me. I struggle with this too. Not an easy message for any of us. Let's keep moving on. You get the idea. The second thing is if you look at verse 3, we're called to turn from specific sins. Oh, we don't like this. God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for not thinking of you enough. Forgive me for being really general in what I say because I don't want to admit the real problem. I don't want to admit the root. If you get involved in counseling and psychology, one of the first things you're taught is to try to listen for the root. They might not even say it, but what are they not saying? Because that's what you're trying to get at. Here is God is inviting his people of Israel again to come back to him. He's giving a blueprint of how to do it. And he gives a blueprint that says, turn away from specific sins. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. It's saying they're going to give up idolatry. They're going to give up worshiping false gods and come back home to God. Now, we might not have a graven image in our home, and maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you still have an incense altar that you need to consider getting rid of because it's a false god. But others of us, we've worshipped all sorts of things, from beauty to success to what other people think of us to who accepts us to how much money we have. We've been through these lists. And God's saying, name it specifically and leave it with me. Are we willing to let God search our hearts? Remember how we started worship today? Psalm 51, search my heart, O God. Dude knew what he was talking about. That's David, a man after God's own heart that had gotten caught cheating, that had gotten caught murdering, and that had gotten caught costing the lives of many Israelite men because he didn't go to battle with them, um, to name a few of his sins. Not to mention he was a lousy dad, Um, his son tried to overthrow him. The list went on and on. But in Psalm 51, after he's been confronted with the adultery and the murder, he says, only God can forgive. And he names, my sins are ever before me, Lord. And he gives them to God. There is something truly freeing when we say, God, I'm holding on to this sin, but now it's yours. And I'm leaving it at the foot of the cross because what you have done by inviting us into your supper, into your celebration, into your feast, I want that feast every day of my life. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you my sin. But to do that, we have to appeal to the grace of God. We cannot fix ourselves. How many of you have ever tried? You tried to fix yourself, right? I'm not going to do this pattern anymore. I'm going to break this bad habit that I can't stop. I am going to get up at 5.30 in the morning and exercise for a day. And then bed feels so much better. I'm going to get up and I am going to do this thing, whatever that thing is, and we just can't do it. And then what do we do? We feel like a failure, right? And we camp out in the failure. And then we let it define who we are. And then we let it control our thoughts. Well, if I'm not good enough now, I'm never going to be good enough, so skip it. I'm doing my own thing. And we just walk further away from the Lord. When he says, 
come to me and ask me to forgive all of your sins and, re- and let me receive you graciously. What's the root of the word gracious? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. He says, you can have it all because I'm all of it. I am every bit of the life you've dreamed of and you didn't even know how to dream. More than we could ask or imagine is how Paul calls it. And he says, but beg for my grace and live in the fullness of it and then give it away to others too instead of telling them what failures there are. Nine times out of 10, they already know that anyway. Marks of true confession, awareness of sin, identification and running away from specific sins. I use the example a lot because it's an epidemic, both men and women in the world today, but if you can't keep your eyes off of inappropriate images on your phones and on your computers, quit using them. Cut them off. Get rid of them. Find other ways to communicate. Find other ways not to be alone when you're looking at those screens. Run away from those behaviors and ask God to give you the strength to keep running. He expects you to make the choice, but he's going to help. Doesn't mean it's easy to turn away from that sin, but he wants to help you. He wants to give you the grace to realize you've been forgiven, that that sinful behavior does not define you. The fact that you're a child of God defines you. How awesome is that? When we're told to not take the name of the Lord in vain, what he really means there is, one, we don't take God's name in vain, but by how we carry ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as if it's our family name, child of God. We live in the grace that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Well, what do we look forward to if we understand this is true confession and we've got to deal with that? How do we move forward? Well, I want to tell you, and I want to give you a picture that God gives us, gives us of himself. You see, and I, I'm going to do this quickly, but I want you to go home and I want you to look at the questions I've put on your message notes that look something like this. And by the way, save this sheet. You're going to need it in about three minutes, maybe five. And I want you to look at the fact that in verse three, we see that God is what? He's a God of compassion. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. The fatherless find somebody like Lavina that can bring them back home. In God, the people that have no hope find hope. They find strength. And I want to read to you, James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite preachers, gave us some notes and questions. And we're going to finish with these. I'm not going to say much more. But as we look at these things, he reminds us of a few things. He gives us a picture of beauty that we see in verse 6. When God says that his blessing will result in the growing of blossoms like a lily, he's saying that he will restore beauty to the nation. Israel was beautiful once, but sin is ugly. You hear that? And sin had ruined Israel. Sin makes us ugly. And none of us can change that ugliness but God. His sin made you ugly. Ugly in face and ugly in temperament. Repent of your sin and turn to God. We look at the fact that God, too, is the picture of strength. And what do we read about that? He sends down roots like one of the great cedars of Lebanon, saying he will restore strength to the nation. 
It's important because sin not only makes us ugly, it weakens us. This weakness becomes increasingly greater as we grow older and we live in the reality of that sin. Has sin made you weak? Has it taken away the strength you once had? Repent and turn to God. You see where this is going to go. I'm going to keep coming back. Value. When God speaks to the splendor of the olive tree, he's saying that he will restore the nation's value. He will restore your value. You feel worthless? God's giving you his riches. The splendor of the olive is, is oil. It was so valuable in ancient times. It still is. Have you noticed how much olive oil costs? It's not cheap. It would be the equivalent of gasoline and petroleum today. In their sin, the nation had ceased to have value, even in its own eyes. But the love and blessing of God would make it valuable again. You may feel worthless, but God's love, God's blessing poured out upon you through the wonderful work of Jesus Christ makes you a masterpiece. But do you feel worthless? Do others make you feel worthless? Repent of that sin and turn to God. Delight. When God speaks of the fragrance of the cedars of Lebanon, he's saying that he will again make the nation a delight. Fragrance has no utilitarian value. It's got no practical use. I mean, I appreciate it when you smell good. I like that. But it's, it's not the same necessity. It's a pleasure to all who breathe it, right? When somebody smells really good, you kind of get up next to them and it's nice. But sin causes us to be a stench. Sin causes us to stink, to rot, to fester. And we don't want that. We want to be a sweet aroma pleasing to God. So we repent of our odor. Not your stinky feet, your stinky heart. And we turn back to God. And finally, in verse 7, these are all who God is and what he's inviting us to. You get a number of images combined in verse 7. The shade of the tree, the flourishing of a field of grain, the luxuriant blossoming of a vine. It's all pointing to the abundant richness of God. God says he will cause to be truly abundant the people of Israel in the day they return to him. If sin has robbed you of the abundant, the abundant full life you've been invited into, he invites you to repent of that and come back to him. Because not only will you, he make you abundant in knowing you're living a full life, he'll make you fruitful. Giving that life away to others that desperately need him. What did, he te- what did Jesus tell his disciples? I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him... He will bear much fruit. You didn't choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. These are who God is. He invites us into a life of compassion, into a place where we know we are valued, into a place of God's strength, into a place of God's delight, God's beauty, God's abundance, but we feel stuck. And God says, just come home. The entire book of Hosea is about that principle. Come home. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It's I who answer and look after you. 
from me comes your fruit. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Come home. God invites us to come home wherever we are. And whatever we're wrestling right now with, I want to invite you to do something that we don't often do, but it's important. Confession needs to be real, not just thought in our minds and it quickly forgotten. I'm a big proponent of journaling or writing things down and leaving them someplace where they are to be forgotten at the foot of the cross. And I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what you might be wrestling with, but I've left you with a piece of white paper in your bulletins. If you didn't get a bulletin, just raise your hand and we will gladly distribute those now. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. If you need a pen, also raise your hand. We've got those ready to go. But God has invited you into an abundant, delightful, strong, compassionate, beautiful, valuable life because that's who he is. But we're living separated from that. And he says, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live in hope. And some of you are starting to understand why the trash can is placed where it is. Because what I want you to do is I want you to get real specific with God. But Mike, it's uncomfortable. Great. It should be. Because sin is repugnant. I love that word. It's even an ugly word to say. It's disgusting. But God is beautiful. God is compassionate. God is delightful. God is rich. And God is strong. He can carry you all the way to true life. So I've asked Justin to come up and play in the background if he would. And I'm going to invite you uh, to come up. Write down what keeps you from living the life you know God has for you. Maybe it's a sinful behavior that you haven't been able to stop on your own. Give it to the Lord. Lay it at the foot of the cross, knowing that this feast is for you and that this was eliminated. The trash can is no longer an obstacle. Your trash is thrown to the ocean floor to be remembered no more for all those who would believe on Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness and grace found in him. Maybe it's your attitude. God, you just don't understand. Write that down and give it to him and let him transform your heart. Maybe it's your relationships. Write them down. Give them to him and see what he might do in your heart, let alone in the others. What I'm inviting you to this morning is nothing more than what God's word says. Those that are the Lord's walk in righteousness. And we do that by leaving by confessing, by changing our minds and leaving it with him. So I've chosen this trash can for a specific reason. You have to make the effort. You have to lift it up and put it in. I cleaned it, I promise. It's not disgustingly full of germs. But I invite you to write it down, to reflect, and to give it to him, and to leave it there, and to let him set you free. If you need to pray, we have wonderful Christian leaders spread throughout this hall that would love to pray with you, and I will call on them as I see need. We would love to walk with you in this journey. In fact, we're told we should confess our sins one to another because it brings healing. With that, let me pray, 
And then I invite you to leave it with Jesus once for all. Whatever it may be, leave it with him. Lord, take our shame. Take our lives. Take our pride. Take our sin. And throw it to the bottom of the ocean floor as you promise you've already done. And purify us through the wonderful work of your son, Jesus. That we might walk strong, beautifully, abundantly in the light that you've given us. Amen. Whenever you're ready, just come on up, drop them in the trash can, and they will be destroyed. They'll be burned in a place where I don't let light the hall on fire. you to look really careful at my favorite picture in all of scripture. You ready for it? Because, not because of Justin. <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Because of that cross, Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was spilled out for you for the forgiveness of sins that your sins may be remembered no more and not counted against you. You have been set free. You have come home. And he says, live there. Stay with me and let me show you a greater life than you could have ever imagined. Trust me because I took your identity and I nailed it to the cross and I said, I've given you new life. David prayed this, knowing that there was only one source of freedom and hope. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast, hey, we realize that word a lot, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, the hesed love of the Lord never fails us. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to stay home with you, to sustain you. Hosea 2, 19. I will betroth you to me forever, the Lord says. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice at the cross. I bought you, just like Hosea bought Gomer. I will betroth you in faithfulness. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I will never let you go. Ladies and gentlemen, you put them in the, in the bin. They're not yours anymore. Don't grab onto them again. And in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, you have no place here. You have no power over our lives. What we have given you, given God, you cannot take back. We have been set free. Lord, as we go out and as we sing our last song of victory, may we go out with victory. May we go out with power. And may we go out in healing, knowing that 
If you have set us free, we are free indeed. Amen. Let's stand together.